Hello and welcome to the PropTech Hot Seat and iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon. The show where we explore trends and technologies driving innovation across the built environment. The show is brought to you in partnership with PropTech Ireland, the hub for innovators, investors and indeed for industry leaders. Apologies to anybody watching rather than listening in today. We are recording from the road, so apologies for the poor uh, visual quality. Um, but as we are experiencing a heat wave in Ireland, such a rare event, uh, there, there are reasons and excuses for being on, on the road. So bear with us um, and we hope the sound quality will hold up. In the PropTech hot seat today is Kyle Spencer and David Blumenfeld, co-founders of NextRivet. NextRivet's focus on digital innovation opportunities supported by an expansive network of solutions make them the ideal source of consultation for the real estate innovation space. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that. Uh, gentlemen, you're both very welcome today. Uh, David, you might just tell us a little bit, what is NextRivet and what is it that you and the team do? Sounds good. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having us. Thank um, you. So next for a bit, um, we are a, as you've mentioned, a digital innovation consultancy focused on essentially bringing digital innovation into the physical environment. Um, Kyle and I were um, first started working together at Westfield uh, Shopping Centers, uh, obviously with a presence there in, in the UK, as well as in, in um, Australia and the US. Um, and, the, and the goal there was, was very similar from a, from a broad perspective. How do we essentially keep the property relevant through digital innovation, but also things that are uh, not just digital for digital sake, but actually, you know, worthwhile and either either consumer facing or tenant facing. Um, and so we really, through a number of years there, um, you know, got to work across a variety of different technologies, um, you know, again, front and back end. Um, and so when we saw an opportunity uh, over time, we really saw an opportunity uh, that, you know, many, many other shopping centers were kind of in a similar boat where there's all this digital digital happening trying to figure out how to how to kind of make sense of all of it and how to implement it. And so in late 2019, Kyle and I essentially spun ourselves out, formed Next River, really to, to do kind of this kind of digital innovation on behalf of, of other real estate and shopping center companies. Um, and, and again, I think that the thing that differentiates us from a lot of the kind of larger consulting firms is, you know, we're really there to actually roll up our sleeves and get work done. Um, we kind of like to say strategy is easy, execution is hard. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, especially as, as you're coming out of the pandemic, and, and I think a lot of these companies are more resource strapped than, than ever before. And certainly expertise is the, the digital expertise is not kind of native to this industry. It's really how do we come in, not just provide a strategy, but actually provide the pair of hands to get projects done. And I think that's really what we we focus on and pride ourselves on. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you both today because, as I mentioned to you before, uh, we kicked off that actually generally in the PropTech hot seat, we're talking to uh, founders and solution providers where, uh, you know, there's uh, and there's sometimes an element to the conversation. Have you have you ever heard the expression uh, to a man with a hammer or, you know, or to a man with a hammer? Every everything's a nail. And it's a little bit like that, you know. <laughs> Um, founders, and I and I get it. It's the it mm -hmm. is the secret of success. You know, you think you're solving the most important problem, and you think your solution is the only way to solve that particular problem. Whereas actually, what we know in practice is that there are so many problems competing for resources that actually not all of them deserve to be uh, and are feasible to solve. So it actually is a case of balancing resources. And I agree with you completely. I absolutely think that. Um, the, the, it is. It does come down to execution, and I believe that this is where maybe we're falling down on prop tech innovation, and that's from 
an Irish and UK perspective. I don't know. You obviously are, are operating globally, so your perspective might be slightly different. Can you t- maybe talk us through what execution looks like for a typical client? Yeah, I mean, I, it, sometimes it starts again with strategy and, and what are we trying to accomplish? And I think you're right. I, there are, it's a combination of two things. It's, it's, is this the right good idea? But also sometimes, you know, for a lot of our clients, they have five good ideas and they all are good ideas, but they have the time and the effort and the, or the resources to do two of those, for instance. And so we can help them take on, on the third and the fourth. And that starts with, again, what are the, what are you trying to achieve? Starting to help them build the product requirements. So finding the right solution. We are uh, solution agnostic. Um, we kind of treat ourselves as Switzerland when we look at our clients. We're, we're not necessarily trying to pitch a particular product um, or, or a vendor or a solution, but what we are trying to do is understand what they're trying to achieve and then find the right, find the right solution in that, in that category um, to, to help them you know, get it across the line. And so we'll help them build the product requirements document. We'll help them understand what they're trying to achieve. We'll build the strategy with them. But then to David's point, we'll then take it another level. And, and if they need the help, we will help them go find that solution and then work with that property, with that vendor or that or that technology solution to, to begin to implement it. And that, and that can be as simple as product manage, project managing the, the, the timing. And again, taking, taking this piece off of, the plate of our clients because they just don't have the time or the expertise and helping them, uh, you know, get it over the finish line, essentially. And without being flippant, it's my experience Mm -hmm. that um, some business owners don't know what their problems are. So actually, do most of your clients present you with a set of problems or actually do you help them identify those? It's it's really across. It's it's really a spectrum. I think there are... There, there are some clients who are like something as simple as we know we need to innovate. We know we need to bring digital into the property. We don't know where to start. Or we have some of that. We have some ideas, as Kyle was saying, but we don't know how to prioritize them um, to then the, uh, to, the, to the other side, which you said, which is, hey, we actually we have these issues. We're trying to solve for them. We just don't, again, have the expertise or know who who we should implement. And so um, it's it's really on a case by case basis. We'll, we'll come in and, and, you know, a lot of, again, a lot of our clients may start with a specific project in mind. Um, and then it kind of expands for, from there, but we have, we have a number of clients who've said, you know, help, help us come and understand, like help us benchmark what we're doing against, against property owners around the world. And then once, once we kind of do that, say, okay, help us prioritize which projects we should, we should get started on and, and help us sequence those. And then ultimately, and we're now at a point with one client where we've gone through that entire uh, kind of that entire exercise. And now we're we're kind of on point to, to execute, you know, a number, a handful of them by the end of the year. Um, um, I think the benchmarking is a really interesting one because I think yeah. not I'm not sure that people outside of the industry realize, but actually this is a very competitive industry, not just from a commercial point of view, but from a reputational point of view. People exactly. like to be seen to be first. They like to be leading in certain areas and they 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 uh, pride themselves on things that as a company, uh, that their, their ethos, where they're driving. And actually, that's been a huge competitive driving source. But do we know what the what the baseline is? So, you know, you talk there about introducing digital into the business. But I would imagine in 2023, you're not meeting any business that doesn't have some element of digital across their business streams. 
Oh, I mean, 100%. Yes. And then, and, and, and again, it comes to, you know, and a, a perfect example is the shopping mall industry that is now moving into mix, mixed use, right? And so as they are starting to expand from their traditional core business of, of running retail and shopping um, and as a property owner, and now starting to build office and residential across, uh, you know, whether within, within the portfolio or with it, or exactly right across the street from the shopping mall, you know, though, some of those areas are, are areas where they, you know, they didn't necessarily have digital and they don't have that connective tissue to understand how do I, how do I necessarily take the retail experience and build that into my residential and my, and my office experience and vice versa. How do I take the office and, and residential and merge those into, you know, my residential experience. And, you know, for a lot of our clients, that digital technology and that solution just never, never really existed because they're, they're, they're getting into a new area of their business that they never, you know, have, have ever had to run before. And, and they understand the retail side and they understand the technology side and that's consumer facing a lot of times. But when now, when you get into office and residential, you know, now you're, you're, you're working with tenants and you're, you're working with the retailers and, and, and your office tenant space to try to pull them over into the retail side. And I, I'm, I, some of the, sometimes the feedback I get when, when I'm speaking to people who have listened in and, and heard about an exciting solution being pitched. And, um, sometimes it's hard to understand the context in which innovation needs to happen across an organization. So, you know, can you walk us through maybe a typical example, or maybe there, there is no such thing as typical, but maybe even walk us through one of your more recent, uh, clients that you've worked with, you know, where, where's the starting point? How are you assessing the baseline? What are the early, um, you know, the early initiatives that you're bringing clients through? Um, good question. I, I think it's, um, you know, again, it's it's a combination of things. I I, I referred to the, the previous project again, where we we literally started with with kind of a rapid review or a rapid assessment of everything they had been doing to date. <laughs> and then we went to to that benchmarking that stage, as as we mentioned, which is okay. Based on the things you're doing to date, how does that stack up against rest of world? That kind of best in class, but also here's some things you need to look at that you're not doing at all, and and kind of kind of fill out that roadmap, if you will. Um, from there, then it's it's kind of presenting that material and then working with the client base. And, and you know, obviously market to market, there are things that, that may work. So for example, you know, a trend that, and, and a project that's been uh, fairly prevalent, especially as coming out of the pandemic is around last mile fulfillment and whether or not you can use the shopping center to um, help aggregate and lower the unit economics on behalf of, of your retailers. And, you know, in certain countries, there's, you know, uh, there's a kind of well-defined and built-out uh, infrastructure of last-mile carriers and and all of those things. In other countries, it's just not as realistic. You can't, you know, it's 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 not safe enough to leave a package anywhere. Therefore, there's a lot of you know there's there are variances. So you have to kind of take into account, okay, what's going on in the world? What's also realistic for that country uh, based on the infrastructure and trends and and just kind of demographics and everything else. And then from there, it's a prioritization and, and also looking at okay, what a, scoping it from a cost perspective. Obviously, I think one of the way what a lot of times innovation falls down because the traditional business is so used to kind of a very clear ROI or NOI, if you want to call it that, in terms of, you know, I, I build a shopping center, I build a new wing. I know that's going to pay off five years from now based on, you know, 100 years of data. In the innovation space, the, the quickest way to kill something is to get 
you know, obviously you need to do something that is going to scale and there's a path, but you may not know every single thing about how it's going to pencil. But if you don't start somewhere, um, you're never going to, you know, you're never going to do anything successful. And I think that's, you know, it's getting, getting, um, getting some of our clients kind of past the, um, oh gosh, how's this going to pencil in six months? (laughs) Well, we gotta, we gotta get started. Um, and I think that's a really important thing. I think the, you know, the shopping center industry you talked about everybody wanting to kind of be first, but the reality is we always kind of joke that everybody wants to be the first to be second. Yeah. Um, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of times everybody wants to be the first to be 15th in this industry. And so <laughs> it's getting people to kind of take a little bit of a leap um, in terms of, of trying some things because the, the nice thing in the digital space, you can try things and if it fails, it's okay. I mean, you can, you know, you need to fail fast and we're not encouraging you know, we're obviously trying to set our clients up for success, but it's not like you're putting a wall in place that you suddenly have to knock down in six months. There's there's ways to to, to kind of test and learn in a much more flexible and agile way than I think in, mm-hmm. in the kind of traditional physical space. Uh, I'm really glad that you brought up the, the uh, concept of failure because actually this is not an industry that responds well to failure. And I think that that's possibly because it's such a low margin industry that failure has such a high cost implication. Exactly, However, yeah. once you're bringing um, innovation into the conversation, you have to build in failure, but we can't call it failure because it is part of the process. You know, it, it's not the final outcome, but actually there will be things that work to a greater extent than others. And whether you call that a failure or a learning, the reality is there has to be scope within the project to do it. And, you know, I, and I think that this is probably where the value of benchmarking comes in. I'm really interested in the global benchmarking that you're doing because there's such a chronic shortage of of data for the these um more some of the metrics that are maybe more ESG driven, it can be really, it can be quite difficult to get access to that information. So when you're embarking on, say, a global benchmarking um, study for a new client, what kind of metrics are you looking at? What, what, where, where are the, where are the, I suppose, gaps in our data globally? Hmm. I mean, from a, I guess it's it's a long way. The data is not necessarily always the driver. I think some of it is is you know for us being a global um, firm and with clients in I guess eleven countries now, um, we're able to kind of bring the experiences that we've had with with those clients. And as David mentioned, you know, you're bringing you're bringing learnings uh, not only of what worked well but what didn't work well. And I certainly you know when we were started Westfield Labs and we had a fairly broad charter at, you know, starting in 2012 to, to bring innovation across the Westfield portfolio in you know, US and UK and Australia. Um, we were across a lot of things. We were across a lot of things um, as an organization that were front-end consumer experiences, back-end, you know, data uh, organization and, and building a consumer experience and building a consumer database. But there was a lot of, there was wins but there was plenty of losses. And so for us, you know, I think the benchmarking is, is and the data points is, is what necessarily doesn't always have to be what is working successfully. Some of it can be what is not actually working. What have you tried and, and failed at? Um, and how do you build off the learnings of, of the failures sometimes? And I think that's, you know, I mean, again, that, that goes to the core of innovation is building off of failures. Um, but for us, you know, certainly with a global client base, we're able to really look across all our different clients, as well as, you know, what even some of our other 
non-clients, but industry colleagues that we know pretty well, you know, are able to kind of share with us on, on what they've learned. Because it, again, it is a pretty close knit community when you really get down to it. And, you know, it is a, is, it's a big community across the globe, but everyone also kind of knows each other a little bit and you have, you have a good sense of uh, a portfolio and their asset classes and the types of things that they have. And will, will that necessarily translate and work towards, you know, for my portfolio of my asset classes. And so, um, you know, getting yeah. those learnings is, is really important. I think that makes absolute sense. Um, there's there's a value in learning what didn't work previously, not to say that it won't work in a different set of circumstances, but there's a value in that. I mean, in PropTech yeah. Ireland, we have a much more colloquial way of uh, summing that up, and that is life is too short to make every mistake yourself. It's okay to learn from some <laughs> yeah. of the mistakes that, that other founders have made. You don't need to make them all yourself. It's not a rite of passage. And actually, you know, it's foolish not to learn from what's gone before, but you just don't want to be taken off track doing that. You know, if you have a mm -hmm. core belief that you can bring something different to the table, then absolutely follow that. And, um, you know, because you're operating in 11 countries and the fact that you are solution agnostic, um, that must give you a really good sense of perspective on the sector maybe that I mightn't have. Um, you know, where are you seeing an increased demand for technology, you know, as we kind of look towards 2024 and beyond? Well, I think, uh, you know, certainly um, Kyle touched on it a little bit, but I, th I think with, I think there's there's interesting developments certainly kind of in the in the mixed use area, right? As, as property owners, again, try to establish retail, residential, office, but trying to do it in a way that's not, not so siloed, um, so how do we create a community amongst these groups? So whether it's cross shopping or um, getting people to move from one kind of one area to another, I think that's where there's, um, I think Kyle used this term too, is the connected, how do you build that connective tissue to create this community where people aren't just living there, but then there's no connection to retail or they're working there and there's no connection to either residential or retail. So I think that's where we're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of technology coming into play, certainly from the kind of the, the end user experience. And then those like um, ten, tenant experience ap applications. So, so anything from the tenant experience on the residential side, which is similar to the tenant experience on the, on the office side, but um, you know, has a lot of similarities, but, but again, each of those asset classes, whether it's residential or, or office, they really do have very different um use cases and, and tasks in which you need to do, you know, for, for residential, it's, it's package control and understanding package and, and I guess food delivery, letting them access and, and understanding where the packages are coming in and to your building and when you've received them and being able to store those, but, and then everything from access control and controlling your, you know, your smart building from, from an app and, and turning on your air conditioning or your, or your heat, depending on the country that you live in, depend, turning on your, your, your thermostat before you get a ride. And then in the office space, it's, it's booking conference rooms or it's booking um, it, get parking solutions and, and having access to the building. But again, all of those things, what's the connective tissue that then again, ties it together for the portfolio owner who does own residential and office and retail. And you are trying to kind of build a community around that um, and, and pull all those pieces together. You know, that's really interesting. Um, in four years of this show, this is actually the first time that we've heard about um, tenant, tenant engagement and the tenant experience for retail that isn't focused on the tenant's customer. 
you know, because again, in, in office, we talk about the tenant experience. In residential, we talk about the tenant experience. But for resident, for retail, we go straight to the experience of the customer, not the retail tenant. So that's a really interesting thing. What is what makes for a good tenant experience for a retailer? Well, I think I think you're you're you know something that we've kind of latched onto is kind of a, for, and, and an opportunity for property owners is really to to move away from just being kind of that 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 landlord tenant relationship, right? That's that's always fun and tension filled and you know mutually beneficial, but but also difficult and you know and a lot of times too. And and something we've kind of turned as retail as a service, right? So there's an opportunity for landlords to do things such as. Um, enabling kind of centralized last mile fulfillment. That's a project that we've worked with a lot of mall operators on, which is, you know, for in, in supporting your retailers' omni-channel efforts as retailers do a lot of ship from store, it's very expensive to do that on a one-off basis. But if you can take advantage of kind of the collective set of, of retailers on property, and instead of one package going out to a certain, uh, you know, a certain neighborhood, if you could aggregate with, say, four other retailers, um, and now instead of one package going out on one truck, it's five packages going out, you'll ultimately lower the unit economics um, yeah. and actually make things more efficient. And now, wow, if the landlord is actually helping to centralize those operations, that's a benefit that the landlord is providing to the tenant. Um, that makes that makes that property essentially stickier because now if I have a choice between, as a retailer, if I have a choice between a property that's helping me with my omni-channel efforts and another property that's not you know, there's, there's actually a differentiator there. And, and again, it, it kind of takes things out of that kind of that traditional relationship into one that's much more collaborative um, yeah. and, and win-win. Very good. Being in this space, um, because you're, you are uh, solution agnostic, but you're speaking to clients about the problems they're having, you're experiencing the difficulties on the ground. What prop tech is needed but that you're not seeing, you know, are, are you seeing a problem mm. that has yet to, to have a, a solution come and target it? Mm -hmm. um, well, I'll, I'll just give one based on what I was just talking about. I think yeah. um, the biggest challenge in things like centralized fulfillment is the ability for retailers to, to connect their inventory and understand where their inventory is at all times. And it's an age old problem um that we still see you know even forget the centralized fulfillment like from a retailer's perspective just being able to have you know store-based inventory that's tied to their online inventory when when a lot of times the systems were kind of built separately um and it's probably something you know something you're talking about 10 years ago but it's still the case today we're, we're seeing it's like you know when you think about when you think about a store relative where the store is just kind of a you know, a consumer, uh, kind of a forward endpoint inventory source, right? And you would think that a system could be set up to say, okay, I have my distribution warehouse in the middle of the country or by the airport. Now I have this store that's kind of the, the tip of the spear close to the consumer, but uh, I don't know what's, I don't know what's there or I have, it's updated every night. It's not in real time. And so, um, that that kind of the visibility to be able to do it you know a lot of retailers kind of do it a little bit kind of fake it until you make it yeah, um, uh, right because they they know okay i know i have a lot of that skew at that at that store we'll just you know we'll just count on that being there versus actually being able to plan for that um i think that's that's still a needed thing and obviously then when you're talking about 
you know, putting it into a centralized location with other retailers, you've got to have that visibility. So I would say that's just a that's that's a big one right off the bat that that's still a challenge for many retailers. Very good, Kyle. Have you have you any insights on this? I was going to go with the same same example, unfortunately. <laughs> no, well, I I think that, that you know I, it's really interesting, and it actually ties in with a point that was made on a show only in the last number of weeks, and that is, you know, it felt like back in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen, we were really focused on the headline worthy, the really disruptive innovation, and actually, what we're seeing this year and last year really is more enabling tech. It's just the yeah. tech that gets stuff done quicker yeah. uh you know more efficient um cheaper you know it, it's just it, we seem to be in a period that's less about headlines more about just enabling and getting stuff done and actually you know the industry can get behind that that's what the yeah, industry exactly. wanted you know there's maybe a message in there's a message in that for everybody who was selling disruption 6 and 7 years ago that actually the industry just wanted stuff that made their lives easier and better and faster. Yeah. There's this massive wave of AI obviously happening right now, right? We're at this huge tipping point. Yeah. And yet if you don't have the baseline systems in place, it doesn't matter how good your AI is. um, It's, it's, you're still going to be in the same place. I think that's a really great point. Um, Thank you both so much for being so generous with your time. I suppose finally, before we finish up, um, you guys are not yet in the Irish market, maybe are interested in, in, talking to clients in the Irish market, although you are obviously across Europe. Um, yep. What's your long-term vision for next Revit? What's next? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I continue to, to, to do what we've been doing and, and, and ex- expand the business again to, to other locations. I mean, I think, I think the, as a consultancy that, and we talked about it earlier, the more, diverse client base and the more diverse locations and portfolio and different asset classes that we work with, the better it's going to be for our existing clients. Um, and again, we continue to, to, to grow and, and, and find new markets and find new locations that, you know, for mall operators, uh, again, the challenges are, are very similar. Um, everyone's got very similar challenges and, and, you know, we continue to, to hope to, help fulfill and, and work through those challenges with those, with our clients and, and find new, you know, find new opportunities in different parts of the countries and, and world. Very good. Well, look, I, I look forward to seeing um, the progress. Thank you both for being so generous with your time. That was Kyle Spencer and David Blumenfeld, co-founders of Next Rivet. Also, my thanks to producer Katie Talon and to the production team at Hear Me Roar Media on Sound. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out all of the other real estate and construction shows on iProperty Radio. Before we go, a special word of thanks to our sponsor, PropTech Ireland, the hub for innovators, investors and industry leaders in Ireland. Um, So again, thank you to PropTech Ireland for making these conversations possible. And thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of the PropTech Hot Seat here on iProperty Radio.